0: Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: As each one has received a gift, that means that each one of us has received a gift of some kind. And it can be a spiritual gift. It can be a, a gift that you've learned through a trade. You know, right here within this group of people and the folks out in the fellowship hall, there is a great potential for everything that you've done in your life, the things that you, not only the spiritual gifts that God may have given you, but also the gifts that you've learned. And we can help each other as much as we can. And you know, it's so cool to see that happening.
0: How can I ever say? We must be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn that each one of us have received a gift from God that we are to use for His glory. Pastor Rob tells us that we should use those gifts to support others in the church. Love will show itself when we give to the church family what God has given. As we do so, we are good stewards of the many-faceted or manifold grace of God that he has given us and now let's join Pastor Rob with the teaching for today is
1: is a Greek word which means sane and boy I tell you what that's something I like to that's true in our culture today we need to be sane is there any insanity in the world going on right now do you know of any is it or is it I don't don't think there really is do you I mean is there sanity in the world Believe me, as Christians, we are the only sane ones on the earth because we believe in the truth. Everyone else can think what they want. They can make up their own thing. But we don't make up our own thing. Our own thing was given to us by God. And he gave this to us, and he gave it to every single person. This is his love letter to us. It's his instruction manual to know who we are and who God is, the great gulf in between, and the rescue mission that was put in place to save you and I. I'm so thankful for that. But be serious in your prayer. Be sane about it. Be in your right mind. Exercise self-control. And be watchful in prayer as well. The idea is to be sober, to be temperate. In Romans chapter 13, Paul said this to them. He said, And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. The church, unfortunately, we become sleepy, and many people are sleeping. They're sleeping. They're totally asleep. The the whole world has lulled us to sleep. We've got so uh, frustrated with everything that's going on, we've just shut down. And you know, the world outside of us, outside of the church, they have shut down, and they are being fed lies, and they are being fed untruths. And they are so in the hand of the devil. Do you understand it? And isn't it true that once you gave your heart to Christ and the the Lord starts opening your mind and your heart to the Word of God, real truth, all of a sudden things become so obvious. You read the newspaper and you're like, well, that's obviously a lie, a deception. And so many people are being deceived. And even parts of the church, we're we're getting sleepy, folks. you got to wake up. We have to wake up. I have to wake up. We have to start shaking the branches, shaking the trees again. Wake us up, God, because time is short. It's short, and people are hurting. And we're hurting. Don't kid ourselves to think that, you know, I'm fine and you're fine. Everything's fine. Well, sometimes, even as a Christian, things aren't fine because I'm not awake. I'm not awake. I'm asleep at the wheel. I'm on autopilot. And God says, get out of autopilot, brothers and sisters, my children. Get out of autopilot. Everything you do, do it with a purpose. Do it on, on purpose. Do it intently because it's very easy for us just to go on autopilot. We do it every day at different times in our day. It's very easy. Our morning routine for all of us is well established. We've got it down. I could tell you my morning routine, but I won't. But it's very simple. It's very basic, and it involves a large pot of coffee. But I know my routine, and it's autopilot. I don't even have to think about it. I just I go downstairs. Well, I won't go in there. I'm I just i I'm on autopilot. There are certain things that we do that are on autopilot, but there are certain things, folks, we got to... Purpose in our hearts to do and not allow ourselves to be on the switch of autopilot and let somebody else because when you let somebody else if it's not God believe me it's the devil and God wants to get us watchful he wants to get us serious and being serious and watchful in prayer is something that is waning in the church today you know it's unfortunate our our Tuesday evening prayer meeting is the least attended meeting in, in, the, in the church. It's the least, and we could do it on any other night. We could do it on Wednesday night. We used to do it on Saturday night, and the, the, the result was still the same. Now, you can pray at home, and that's fine, but if you're going to set aside some time and, you know, on a Tuesday night and pray, why don't you come out with us? There's a fire when all the embers get together. And I'm not talking weird fire, okay? I'm just talking zeal, love for God. None of this crazy hanging off chandeliers and barking like dogs and flapping like your wing, you know, your arms like eagles and crazy stuff. Just love. But when we're together, that happens. Please come out. I'd beg you if I had to. Actually, I think I am. I'm begging you. Come out on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Spend a half hour. You don't have to spend the whole hour. We usually spend an hour. Come for our 20 minutes. Come for a half hour. Come for the whole time. But we need to be prayerful. You know, perhaps the reason why we're not serious and watchful in prayer is because we no longer have desperation. You know, God responds to desperation. I know this in my own life. When we first uh, started after Pastor Jeff had left, and believe me, I'm still desperate, but I was really desperate then because this was a whole new thing for me. God was doing a whole new thing, and I'm like, God, if you don't do something, I'm going to die in front of everybody. It's going to be a real mess, right? I'm just going to fall down dead, and you're going to have to drag me off and bring somebody else up. You've got to do this, Lord. But he responds to desperation. And, you know, we've also learned to cope with life struggles instead of going directly to Jesus for help. We've learned. Our, we have our coping mechanisms. Everyone does. But who is your help? And what is your crutch? You know, it's okay to have a crutch if it's Christ. The world can make fun of you and say, well, Jesus is your crutch. And I'll be the first to say, yes, absolutely. He is my crutch. He's the one I go to because there is nobody else. Remember, Peter said, Lord, where can we go? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Is there any other truth? The book of Isaiah is filled with statements where God would say in the first person, I know of no other Savior. There is no other God beside me. There's none that I know of. And if he doesn't know if there's any, believe me, there's none. He is the only one. But what crutch does the world have? Well, they have many crutches. They have the false hope of youthfulness. They have a credit card with large uh, credit lines. They have sex and drugs and rock and roll. They have alcohol. They have a decent job with, with security, at least for now, until some other company buys them and lays them off. That's what the world has. But you, brothers and sisters, you have the living God. You have Christ Jesus, the Lord, dwelling in you, whose spirit dwells within you. Are you blessed? Are you, are you even happy about it? I know I am, and I know you are too. It is so good to know that God loves me and that he loves you. But we have reduced, we can reduce God in our own minds, and we no longer see that it's necessary to pray. Our prayers can become anemic, they can become routine, they can become rote, and there's no life in them anymore. Ask God to give you a fresh vision for prayer. A fresh vision for prayer, personally and corporately. Say, Lord, shake me up. You know, because one thing I remember, if you remember 9-11, that was a time in history, in our country's history, where even the unbeliever was praying. I remember that day. You remember that day. Everyone got really serious all of a sudden. And then after a few weeks, it just faded away, and everybody went back to their normal way of living. And God allowed that, I I believe, to shake us up. At the very least, he allowed it to shake us up, saying, you're taking things for granted. Is there anybody praying, really pressing in? Let's be a people of prayer. And if we don't, or won't develop a fervent, consistent prayer life. We're, gonna, we're in for a miser- miserable Christian experience. And we'll ultimately then, as a natural recourse, we will lean on the things of man rather than on the things of God, and we can't allow ourselves to be lulled to sleep and be complacent. We have to be active and serious and diligent in prayer. Notice in verse 8, Peter says, And above all things, have fervent love. The, the word there is the Greek word agape, which means a benevolent love. He says, he says for have, a, have this fervent love for one another. For love, this agape love, will cover a multitude of sins. And this is benevolent, self-sacrificing love. This is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross when he who was without sin became sin for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the kind of benevolent, self-sacrificing love that he's talking about. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, that doesn't mean that we we can cover up our friends. If our friend uh, robs a bank and you know of it, and the police are out after them, you don't harbor that person and tell lies to cover up the sin. No, that's not really what it means. You encourage them to do the right thing and to hand themselves in, to turn themselves in. Love doesn't cover that kind of sin but backbiting and saying mean things about each other behind each other's back. Love covers a multitude of sin. When they've done something wrong to you, a friend or family member, do you, do you forgive them? Do you try to be reconciled to them? When they wrong you, can you cover it? Can you cover it? If you hear something that somebody says to you about somebody else, can you just say, hey, stop, you know, I, don't, I really don't want to talk about it? Can you cover it? Let's be about covering these things. Paul says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Rejoice in the truth. Don't rejoice in iniquity. And I love what he says in uh, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He said, and now there abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest is agape love. And that is something, my friends, that only we, the church, really can possess us if we allow it to flow through us because again it's not something that originates from us there's nothing good in me god has to be the one that is in me doesn't know what the bible says that he works in us first to will and then to do of his good pleasure so the deposit he's made of his spirit that is the only good thing within me and i have gotta let it out i gotta open up the po- open up the channels I was just putting the hoses on for the first time this spring and I'm putting on those little you know, those four pronged things where you can hook up a bunch of hoses and you have to turn those little levers in order to get the flow to go out. Open them all up and flood the neighborhood. (laughs) But that's what I need to do in my heart. God doesn't force me to do anything, but he's got the flow and it's just backed up and it's ready to go. And I can either turn those switches and keep it back and say, I'm not going to let it happen, Lord. I'm not going to love that person. They made me mad and I'm going to make them pay for it. And he's going, okay, you grieve the spirit. Can you be forgiven for it? Absolutely. But who, who, gets, who gets the wrong end of the stick on that? You do. And they. So open those things, open those levers, and let the flow just burst out. And in that way, we can love one another. Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, he says, And because lawlessness will abound, and of course he's speaking of events before and during the Great Tribulation period, but I believe that that day is here among us now. Not the Great Tribulation period, but the days of hearts that are, law, when lawlessness will abound, the love, the agape of many will grow cold. And the church, we we can get that way. We can get so hurt by the things of the world, get so frustrated that we just turn off the spigot. We turn off that knob. and We're like, I'm done. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for the rapture. I'm just going to put up my wall, my coping mechanism. That's how people cope. They put up these walls. They turn the switches off. But God wants you to open them up. Is be hospitable to love to one another without grumbling. The word is philozenos, and I love this word zenos because when I first married my wife Kathy, you know her mom is hundred percent Greek. I mean, when you see this woman, you think Mediterranean. I mean, she literally is, and I don't mean this in a in a mean way, but most Mediterranean people, and if you're one of those, don't take offense to this. Most of them are fairly short in stature, and they've got beautiful skin. They got dark hair, dark eyes, very nice, dark skin. And her mother is, is, is that. She's a wonderful lady. But it was kind of funny because when I first met Kathy, you know, um, there was a joke about me being a Xenos, which means an outsider. Because, you know, uh, outside of the Greek culture, anybody else is a Xenos. You know, and that's kind of what I was. But now she loves me, thankfully. She even gave me the heel of the bread, which is very significant. If you're Greek, you know, when your mother-in-law gives you the heel of the bread, you're in. But then she took it back. (laughs) No, I'm only kidding. But this word hospitable means philozenos. It means to be a lover of those who are outsiders, strangers. And true hospitality, again, is waning there was a culture long ago in the 50s, even back in the 50s, people were hospitable. And some of you are very hospitable, honestly. There's a great number of you I know have just been so hospitable. But I'm talking about the church in general, and not just necessarily here, but everywhere. Now because iniquity has abounded, our love has grown cold. We no longer trust anything, and there's, I guess there's reason to feel that way. I mean, can you trust somebody that you don't know to come into your own home? Boy, is that a challenge. But it's a challenge I think it's worth going through and letting the Lord challenge you about. And partly because of my sin and my selfishness, I can be unhospitable at times. And I can not value people as much as I ought to. But that's what God wants us to do, to value each other. And be hospitable and don't, Be too concerned about what your house looks like. You know, if it's not spotless, that's okay. If it's an unexpected guest, you know, they get what they get, right? But if you know somebody's coming and you've got a week to prepare, of course you you, you make things nice. But when somebody wants to drop in, do you shut your door because you're afraid of, you know, you didn't clean the bathroom? You're afraid of the dust? You're afraid of the cat food on the floor that your cat spilled that morning and you didn't have a chance to pick it up yet. All these things, we have to let let the Lord challenge us, get out of those comfort zones. And when we can, of course, we want to do the best we can for folks, but there are times we just can't, and we need to operate in hospitality anyway. When people come into this church, my hope is that we can all... Greet them. If you, don't, if you see somebody here this morning that you don't recognize, reach out to them, love on them, sit with them. Resist sitting with people you always sit with, but sit with that person that you've never seen before. Get to know them and let them enter into this. That's what the body's supposed to be. And I got to do that because sometimes I'm not real faithful about that. But that's something that I got to learn and I got to continue to pry myself out of it and do it. And, you know, we really do, don't we? We really love people. I mean, when people come in here, that's a love of God. God has loved you. Freely we have received, so we freely give. Isn't that what Jesus said? So we have to resist it. Make them feel welcome. The writer of Hebrews says, Let brotherly love continue, and do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Verse 10 says, As each one of you has received a gift, minister, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I love that. As each one has received a gift. That means that each one of us has received a gift of some kind. And it can be a spiritual gift. It can be a, a gift that you've learned through a trade. You know, right here within this group of people and the folks out in the fellowship hall, There is a great potential for everything that you've done in your life, the things that you, not only the spiritual gifts that God may have given you, but also the gifts that you've learned. And we can help each other as much as we can. And you know, it's so cool to see that happening. There was a brother who helped us recently in our home. You know, I had this uh, gaping, uh, this hole that developed in our basement, and he came over, and he knows how to do this stuff. I don't know how to do this stuff. And he willingly did it, and I tried to offer him, you know, something, and he he wouldn't receive it. You know, if I wasn't talking and chewing his ear off, he could have been done in 15 minutes. But, you know, he came after work, and he did it. You know, he just, he had a skill, and he offered it. And we can do that for one another. Sometimes you, you can't do that. Sometimes you, you know, it's different. But, you know, when you can, we ought to, especially those who are in need, But notice this word gift in verse 10, literally the the word is charisma. That's what the word gift means. And it means some kind of a spiritual endowment. It could be um, a favor which one receives without any merit of his own. It's a gift. It's a gift, but it's a, it's it's a, a qualification, a spiritual endowment. Jesus said to his disciples when he sent the 12 out, he said, freely you have received, freely give. And that's the idea. What, if, what gifts do you have, and how are you using them? Are you holding them in and just kind of doing your thing at work and just cutting yourself off, compartmentalizing your life? Don't allow your life to be compartmentalized. Blow the doors down. Let the, Lord, let the Lord break those doors down and be just open. What gifts do you have? How are you using them? How are you using them in the body of Christ? As, as, as much as we can, we ought to be thinking about that, praying about that. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ. We are one body in Christ. And individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If you have the gift of prophecy, and he's speaking about uh, spiritual gifts here, if you have the gift of prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If you have the, the gift of showing forth or telling forth the word of God, if that's on your heart and on your lips, let it happen. Or maybe your gift is ministry. Let, it, you, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation. You know, there's so many people in the body who have the gift of exhortation. This is such a wonderful gift that I love it when I see it in, in action. And I've seen it, I've been the beneficiary of that gift so often. People exhorting me, exhorting you. When you're feeling kind of down and you're feeling not quite up to snuff. Maybe you're struggling with an issue of sin in your life and you, just, you feel unworthy. And of course we're all unworthy. But to have somebody put their arm around you and say, you know what? God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life and you're having a tough day, but you know what? This will pass. Another three or four hours, this thing is going to pass from you and the, the sun is going to shine again. You know, It never stays dark and gloomy for long. Have you ever been in a dark and gloomy time where you just feel like everything is against you? We all have. Could have been a death of a family member, a, a parent, a child, even. Maybe you lost your job, and then you got, then you found out you had a tumor growing inside your stomach. You know, whatever it may be. Every one of us has gone through the dark cloud and the dark hour, and then to have somebody come up and exhort you in love, I tell you what, that is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts. I love is the, when, the gift of exhortation. He goes on. He says, "And he who gives with liberality." There are people who have this gift of liberality. that They just love to give. And they might not even have a whole lot, but they love to give what they have. And some people have a lot, and they do. They give, and they're wonderful folks. And they they don't give with some kind of arrogance. They give because they love. And I tell you, there is a difference, and you can see it. And, man, when you see it in operation, you're just like, man, this is the coolest thing in the world. To not only be the giver, but to be the beneficiary. If, if, you know, if, 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 you're, if you've got the gift of giving, be a good receiver. That blesses the giver. I used to put on this air of, no, no, that's okay, you know, don't, don't need it, you know, thank you very much. And then you're squelching, you're, 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 the flow that they've got wide open coming at you, you're putting up this wall and you're turning on your own little thing and blocking it, right? And God's saying, why can't you receive?
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in First Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625.